are listening to Contesting Wrestling, the podcast where I am on a quest to force two people I care about deeply to answer hostile questions about the things that they love that if someone was to subject me to that questioning, I would surely wither quite quickly. Um, my name is Evan Burke. I'm a writer. I say that. I haven't written anything in a while, but uh, I'm spending a lot of time editing this podcast, uh, which is great. So I love an it. Editor. I mean, uh, yeah. All right, there. That works. <laughs> that works. It's, they get paid more. They get paid a lot more. They get. They do. They do. And it's on. Yeah, I get paid. I. If we ever make money off this podcast, I will be getting paid to edit out my own stuttering. Uh, so that's a metaphor, surely for something. That's the American dream. Who knows what it is? Um, let's go around with the introductions, and then we'll get to our extremely highly special guest today. Uh, I am Dr. Ben Abelson. I'm a professor of philosophy at Mercy College and a lifelong devotee of what goes on in the squared circle. And uh, my name is Dr. Diamond Fire. I've been involved in professional wrestling for well over 10 years. I do commentary, ring announcing, wrestling. I've worked uh, backstage, front of stage. I do a little bit of everything, and uh, I'm very happy to have uh, our guest on today, the, the impresario and creative force behind extremely serious wrestling, uh, Mr. Fesh. Uh, hey, how, what's up? How you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you? Excellent. I'm good. I'm good. Happy and, to be here. Um, Fesh, your yeah. alter ego is Professor Kampfnut. Uh, or just doctor. Just doctor Kampfnut. Which means three that doctors. we now have three doctors <laughs> on the show for the first time. Yeah, catch up, Evan. And Come on. <laughs> Let's go. Um, and you are also a former extremely serious wrestling world champion. That's true. Yeah, the first and so far longest uh, yeah. reign. Uh. That that feels like, so you run it and you were also the champion. I I'm was, just going to yeah. point out that that might mm -hmm. be what we call corruption. <laughs> Uh, that's the wrestling business. Yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> My attitude was always, uh, hey, if you want to do that, then uh, start your own show and then book yourself as the champion. Yeah, that's exactly. all. If you have a problem <laughs> with that, you could, I, I didn't do anything, you know, uh, trickery. I just started the uh, brick-and-mortar situation and then <laughs> ran with it. It's Although, like, like when, you, when you start a creative endeavor like a, like a wrestling league like this, especially if there isn't, like, money involved, especially <laughs> at the beginning, you know, yeah. you don't know who's going to show up exactly. next week or next month or who's exactly. actually going to prioritize your and show, but you're going to prioritize your own show. Yeah, and without burying some, anybody specifically, it's yeah. just there's been situations where the plan was to do something else, and it just was proven that it can't be due to situations like that, so I uh, moved on and... Uh, oh, I, I was a, I was a substitute when I first started fighting the big floss man. Yeah, and we stretched that out for six months. <laughs> exactly, that was great. <laughs> and you uh, did do, of course, the proverbial job eventually. Oh, of course. Uh, 364 days into the rain. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, I I was uh, I watched a big chunk of the uh, of an XSW event recently. I am going to. Go home and watch more of it, yeah. which technically is might mean that you guys have already won this podcast <laughs> because we have we have specified in the past that they will win this podcast the day that I choose to watch wrestling unrelated to this podcast. However, as a longtime comedy nerd and somebody who did comedy, it, it might not count because I would say that your work straddles straddles the line between the two in a way that I found very interesting. So this gets into some game theory stuff here. Oh, of yeah. Like what? what defines the bounds of winning in this situation. So you have to define if my show is wrestling to begin with, right? Right. But and I think there are definitely some people in the business 
who would say that it is not professional wrestling. Look, it, it absolutely is professional wrestling unless you're from the State Athletic Commission, in which case it is <laughs> definitely not professional wrestling. No, it's it does a comedy not fit, show. It does not fit your standards exactly. of professional wrestling, well, therefore. Hey, the yeah. big floss man is a medical professional, <laughs> so... Well, yeah, with, there you go. <laughs> within the narrative of the show, uh, you know, we call ourselves extremely serious wrestling. Uh, we, within Canada, it is. We are a wrestling show that is pretending to be a sketch show, so we don't have to deal with the athletic commission. There you go. That's so, it's it's a it's a knobbing up on a baseball bat of levels of reality that uh, I'm trying to do with you and that that is I, I would say Evan you're kind of my target audience there's a philosophy especially in WWE where it's kind of like hey eh, we got the wrestling fans already we don't need to try to get them it's the other people we need to work about work, work at getting so I'm very happy to hear that and uh yeah I I, I wanted to be a, a show for people who in this exact situation people are trying to get their friends into wrestling I want to be the the gatekeeper to that I guess right off the bat there was something that's happening in XSW that um that we've talked about in the past, where I always feel like a really underused th thing in wrestling that should exist a lot more is you never hear, you don't really hear a lot of dialogue between the wrestlers. <laughs> right. Now, obviously, the point is because you're supposed to be, you know, solving your problems with violence and not through talking. And also, but... you don't really want to mic them while they're in the right. ring together yes. because they're saying a lot of stuff that you're not supposed to hear at all. No, exactly. And, that, and so, you know, there are a lot of reasons that you can't hear, but I was watching the XSW stuff. I'm like, oh, my God, like, they can actually, they can explore this. Like, there was a point where... I was sort of, it was like I was, the commentators were talking and the wrestlers were talking and, uh, and they were both saying funny shit. Yeah. And I'm like, what an unusual situation <laughs> to be watching wrestling and too many people are saying too many things that you want to hear. That you um, want to hear. Yeah, yes. That yes. That's good. the rare part. Yeah. Um, and so like, I, now if you ever, now XSW's the way that it's set up is, you know, it, it is 100% the theatrical side of wrestling. Nobody's really doing anything. Like, <laughs> like athletic. Well, I would say, uh, it, you know, with quote unquote real wrestling, you mm -hmm. know, the ratio, whatever that number is that you, you internalize to be like, it is partially this, partially that. We just flip that. We just okay. in invert it and maybe do inflate the, the theatrical way more. But there is definitely, I'm not trying to protect anything and say we're tough guys, yeah, but yeah. there's definitely a risk to a not a, I don't know if I'd say a lot, but some of what we do. The uh, occasional like uh, bump is taken. The occasional yeah. wrestling move is done. Um, it all gets into sorry, but it, it all gets into this idea that wrestling, uh, from 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 the creator's point of view, it, the goal is to get the most by doing the least. Mm -hmm. And I'm very much exploiting that, but I do understand, and this will we'll get into this idea with the good match as well, uh, that uh, sometimes. When you're teaching the audience, they can only, you know, there's a cap to what they can expect with specifically our show. So we need to do something. I took a rock bottom on a chair about a year ago <laughs> for the show Damn. because I knew no one expected to see that at our show. And so you have you have done a little bit of wrestling training in the ring, also. Yeah. Like there aren't a lot of people. 
who regularly show up at XSW shows that have trained extensively, but a few people have taken a few classes, and uh, yeah. those people have managed to help out everyone else to like have just a couple of the very basics. Like if you sit down at a piano and they show you a few chords, you sound infinitely better than somebody who doesn't know how a piano works, exactly. even if you can't read music and play a song. Yeah, I saw you take a couple of bumps in the match with Mondo Pussy that yeah. were looked like legit bumps. Yeah. Um, I also uh, the last. XSW show that I went to, uh -huh. uh, Show of Honor, uh, you had these guys, the <laughs> Ugly Ducklings, yeah. on, and they did some like pretty wild spots. They're great. And <laughs> yeah, I, they're the and best. I remember we were talking in the bar afterwards, mm -hmm. and you were expressed a kind of anxiety well, over what the show was it, becoming. It, if you go back and watch that, you uh, I'm on commentary for that match, and my hands are on my temples for a good part of it, because I'm just like... And I said this to you, it's like, the, again, getting into game theory and what the show is, it's like, it, I didn't know what the show was anymore. Once we're seeing assisted moonsaults <laughs> and, 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 and the like, it well, is. You had the one show where you booked all those indie wrestlers, you know, right. so they're going to do what they're hired to do. And the, those guys in the Ugly Ducklings are crazy in the best way. I mean, they're from the Deep South, but they're always wrestling around the Northeast. They just drive up yeah. and down the East Coast all the time. And there's this growing uh, movement in wrestling where of wrestlers wrestling in strange locations. Mm -hmm. So, like, I saw Chuck Taylor and Zack Sabre Jr. Oh, wrestle in bar. a bar. Yeah. And, you know, they're just figuring out how to do things, like, kind of safely <laughs> <laughs> without a ring. There's also a moment in that match, too, where they're setting up for a big double team thing where one guy monkey flips the other guy into their opponent. Yeah. And I knew it was coming as Fesh. And I had to kind of bend the reality to be like, I can tell people are going to be worried about whatever this is. So I did it. You just see me just go, whatever's about to happen, we're going to be fine. <laughs> Everybody just know it's fine. And then they do something very dangerous, but hopefully my uh, forewarning helped. Now, it looked like there was a mix of, like, there were a couple people who I feel like I recognized from, from yeah. my UCB days. So, like, it looked like there was a mix of indie wrestlers and, co and comedy folks. Again, we're mostly comedy people, and some of those comedy people have training as well. And then there are some that are straight up just mm. people I've brought in from the wrestling world who are just also funny. That's, I mean, and mm -hmm. I, I feel like there's a lot of... I mean, the the cross pollination there has to mm -hmm. be really interesting. Yeah. What what's something that's like unexpected that you've seen putting uh, wrestlers and comedians together? Hmm. Well, my favorite thing about bringing people from the wrestling world in who are purely wrestling people is the when I tell them what I want them to do or leave it up to them what I what they want to do. The freedom that they're given, which I think is very interesting, be because you know. We're all mud show outlaw guys anyway, so it feels like you can do whatever you want in the world. That's mm -hmm. what I love about wrestling is like anything is possible, in yeah. it, and I'm just trying to lean into that harder with our show. So when they, when a guy whose gimmick is already what somebody would consider silly comes to our show and goes, wait, I get to do something even more silly than that. That's the most <laughs> exciting thing, and I think what's, I think what I love about it is it's the marriage. It's like. Both worlds want the same thing. They just yeah. went about it the different a different way. And so when I get to have those people meet to create that one thing that gives them that, it's very, very exciting. Well, and they're kind of both trying to create the image of, like wrestling is ostensibly trying to create the image that it is a real, uh, of, you know, athletic event, sure. per se. And then um, improv, at least, is sort of trying to create, it's not necessarily trying to convince the audience that it's a real thing, but it's trying to be as... It's trying to be as well-constructed as something that was previously written. And it's there is that invisible fourth wall in front of it that just, like, 
cool, you bought into this by yeah. coming here. Yes. We can't sit here and explain that to you. You just have to know that this is what's up. When I'm pretending to hold a glass, we cannot get into how that is fake. Yeah, you just yeah. have to accept that that is real. Uh, I noticed that at least one of your characters, Sean from Michael's, as in Michael's Art Supply Store, and I think maybe some others, I had recognized from the Upright Citizens Brigade wrestling promotion yeah. that existed several years ago. Uh -huh. They just ended this past summer. Um, yeah, uh, that's uh, I, I was working with them for six years, and it, it was just a, I mean, it was the best, but it was very frustrating. There was only so many opportunities uh, to perform. Uh, and I, the in, in those six years, I was just trying to fine tune how I, w if I were in charge, and had my druthers, how would the show function differently? So when I finally decided to pull the trigger on that, I just said, "Guys, let's go." <laughs> so it is. It's very few by, characters. By pull the trigger, you mean shoot UCBW in the head and kill them, right? Essentially, it took. Yeah. Uh, it's more like shoot him in the knees and shoot then him let in the them. Knees, yeah. So die they could have. They could have healed, but they didn't. Mm -hmm. That's so <laughs> that's as I understand. Leave UCB to its to itself long enough, and it'll shoot itself. Yeah. That's yeah. and I was only talking about the small pocket. It just yeah, seems yeah. like it, it that spread to the rest of the theater as well. So yeah. in some way, they pioneered this sort of thing yeah. in the abstract. Oh, I. How, how is XSW similar or different from so, what they were doing? Yeah, I have no qualms in saying that I just stole the concept of the show. Uh, but in terms of, so in similarities, it's take the same, if it's music, we're using, we're playing the same genre, we're playing on the same instrumentation, but it's just a matter of uh, how it's showcased the fact that they were a weekly show that only had one match that built to every four months, or not even. But they had three pay-per-views a, a, a year. So the opportunity for storytelling, which is the most interesting part of what we do, was much smaller. Were they more improv and you guys are a little bit more written? Uh, in the sense that the writing was done on much shorter notice. Uh, the way Cage Match functioned was every Thursday. I mean, it was up to the performers, but it seemed like everybody functioned this way for the most part was... While, uh, so it was two improv teams facing off against each other, and in the middle there was a wrestling match. So while the first team was performing for about 25 minutes, you'd write and run the match you'd, in the you'd back. You'd call a match, yeah. basically. Which, is, that's how wrestling works. Pretty but, much. And b when people hear it's improvisers doing wrestling, <laughs> you would think a lot more of it would be... <laughs> cage match is still a thing, though. They just don't have the, the right. wrestling anymore, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, the cage, every time I went, the cage match portion itself was always pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh there was, there became this weird, I don't want to say schism, but, uh, you know, going in there and being there pretty much just for the wrestling aspect puts you in this class of uh, people that was very different from people yeah. who were there performing the improv. And that kind of started to go both ways for me f after a while. And I just said, you know, let's just lose the improv part of this because that's the thing is the audience was coming for the improv, not the wrestling. And so we were inherently this uh, menace to them to be like, all right, this is the part where you go to the bathroom. This is where you do, you know. And, uh -oh, and especially the wrestle folks are here. Exactly. Well, and, and especially, you know, in New York, like improv is kind of a thing mm -hmm. that like, uh, you know, not cool kids like the club kids or something. <laughs> but, like improv is sort of like it's a, it's a scene. It's a thing mm -hmm. that people are really into. And it's people who are maybe often the kind of people who will look down on wrestling. Sure. I say that as somebody who is 100% one of those guys. And, and uh. I think that, so that show started in like 2005 and now went to 2017. I do think there was a time where you, we could have turned and, and mm. I feel like that wall is less up now between 
cool kids and wrestling yes, kids and absolutely. Both, both in quotes well, wrestling but. itself has gotten a lot cooler yeah. and i think a lot of that i mean this is a whole other subject the the the, the uncoolness of the wwe right while and this is i think important while the wwe actually maintains its size so it can be the monolith that's uncool and there's plenty of room for all of this other wrestling yeah. that's happening now to be cool and it has that cool factor because you haven't heard of it even if it's now also on network television right. that's the kind of the culmination of you know 18 years of prestige indies <laughs> to where we are now i'm worried AEW is losing that cool pretty quickly though well uh, i've said that what AEW's needed to do then is is produce a good just regular show you know the, you can't have that shine on you forever if six months into dynamite it's still a decent show great that's yeah. yeah but it won't be that cool well and, you know I, I wonder how many other people are going through something that is kind of similar to what i have gone through on this podcast where you really only have to learn a little bit about wrestling to get to the point where you begrudgingly admit it's more interesting than you gave credit for. <laughs> and that is an important first step. That it really is. is, that really is, you know. You know, I talk to people like my colleagues at Mercy College, and they're like, oh, there's a story that continues from one match to the next? <laughs> like, yes! <laughs> well, that kind of gets into my issues with UCBW and, there's, and, and issues with other things in the world of wrestling where it's like they were again they were only doing these weird hashtag game like what if a bread was a wrestler and it, and, and it existed in a vacuum <laughs> whereas the fun part of wrestling for me is the theatrical aspects mm -hmm. of it when you see wrestling parody the simpsons he's bart's flipping through the channels and it's uh, uh two wrestlers who just got married are hitting each other over the head with chairs and, and fire extinguishers that's what people who don't like wrestling think wrestling sure. is a certain type uh, in the periphery is the male soap opera thing. It's like, yeah, when well, you don't have that, then it's literally just people hitting each other over the head with things, and it is dumb as people think it. I was really impressed, you know, years ago when they did the South Park episode about wrestling because yeah. they got everything right. When they're in the the arena watching the WWE show, the caricatures of Edge and John Cena, they're not rah, rah, the Crusher wrestling. One of them slowly whips the other one off the ropes. They take a frame <laughs> to show them calling the spot. You know, the one of them throws a slow clothesline and they pose to the crowd. And then when the kids form their own wrestling league, they never fight. They right. just come up with characters and do promos, right. which well, was Monday Night Raw at the time to a T. Well, it, that was Monday Night Raw, I guess, maybe like five years before they did that episode. It dragged on forever. <laughs> but the, I, I, I think you're right. They got a lot of wrestling right in that episode. What was missing was the wrestling. Right. And I think it... As much as the drama and the theater is incredibly important for wrestling fans, we love how the story is expressed through the wrestling moves. Yeah. And that is lost on a lot of people as well. I think. So I'm going to uh, – this is I'm, – I'm not trying to end this podcast here, but this is what yeah, I yeah, usually yeah, tell people to get them into wrestling, at least as an idea, which you seem already to understand the concept of. But it is a mosaic of mosaics of Rube Goldberg machines. Okay, all right, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> so Ricochet will do two moons, uh, two front flips onto a guy, and that just as a two second clip on Twitter is interesting and cool in its own right. Then you realize that is a part of a machination of a story being told in a match, and then you zoom out to realize that is a, a, a story that exists in a two hour, three hour program on television. You zoom out, that's part of the weekly television. Mm. You zoom out, that's part of the the build to a pay per view, and then that's just one quarter of one company's. <laughs> And mm. all the companies, in some way, are actually part of one larger exactly. wrestling universe. One as much as they pretend that the, that's not the case. The business. Yeah. yeah, so there is this ecosystem in canon to all of it where it's like, our show, even though 
again, it's this weird, you know, petri dish, but like it will still reference the history mm. in a way that, you know, could be alienating, but if you then go in and do your re- like Sean from Michaels, we never explain Hey, this guy is like that yeah, one wrestler. Yeah. It just we just do all of it, and if you get that for the reference sake, you get enjoy. But I still think the guy's entertaining enough that if you don't know who Shawn Michaels is, you're still like, I like this guy. Well, and that's kind of that's also really how references should be used yeah. uh, comedically. Like it shouldn't be the entire joke shouldn't be making the reference. Right. It should be a joke that stands on its own. Right. And then also, if you get the reference, that's that's a cool bonus. That's one of the problems with WWE television is they expect. One, their audience to be dumb as shit. <laughs> and secondly, they ruin everything that could be interesting and clever by making sure that it's all as explicit as possible mm-hmm. and they beat you over the head with it. I was always a big fan of like the Animaniacs when I was a kid. And they would make a lot of references to old Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And 10-year-olds don't know anything about old Hollywood. They might have seen a couple of old movies. But, you know, the character comes out doing Jerry Lewis. It's funny. Yeah. You don't have to know who Jerry Lewis is or the characters in his movie. And it'd be a lot less funny if there was a voiceover going, he's doing an impression of Jerry <laughs> Lewis right now. It's like, what? why? What? Stop. Just uh, let the guy do the silly voice and I'll laugh. When I watched the initial airing of the Simpsons episode with the Planet of the Apes musical, mm-hmm. I was unaware of the existence of the Planet of the, the, Apes. Of yeah, the, Planet yeah. of the Apes film franchise. I was like, what a delightful concept for a musical <laughs> yeah. the Simpsons have devised this evening. It was and, still good, though, right? Oh, it was fucking uh, yeah. great. It was great. And then, I, and then I saw the movie, and then I was like, ah, oh, this has whole new dimensions to it. What is... This is this is a larger question that you can feel free to compress this answer sure. if you want. But what is I, I, I am always fascinated by where the line is between how written wrestling is. Like how like so where what what would you say is your where do you, how do you make the balance between writing it and the wrestlers sort of improvising as is traditionally what happens in wrestling? So with 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 XSW, it's very it's very written. It's pretty yeah. much beat for beat uh, because we Even like the commentary. So they are looking at the match, and it is like so. Boulangeri throws him in the corner, then rolls to do this, and then in bold caps, it's like does whatever the name of her move is to make sure that gets over. Okay. They are then finding their own rhythm in between, and like you watch LA Styles, he has a very specific style of what he how he wants to do his mm-hmm. commentary, can I, which can I would I point never something write. Something out from what you're saying yeah. here is we're talking about. Uh, trained comedians that are for the most part not wrestlers that are used to working in theaters with scripts and their scripts are less detailed than the scripts they hand the wrestlers at Monday Night Raw to do their promos. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. And yeah. it's also infinitely more entertaining. And, and in- <laughs> Man, I, I really have been crapping on Raw a lot <laughs> and, uh, and I really don't want this podcast to become a bunch of guys, uh, uh, you know, crap on Raw. But really, that that's the that's the comparison, mm-hmm. you know, the you the commentators get a script with like you said the moves and the move names and they fill in the rest because they're good and with in terms of promos i just tell them this is why you're doing a promo this is the vague direction i Mm. needed to go after that i don't you know this i never give anybody time (laughs) or uh, it seems like i I, I said it before the last show like my whole segment goes five minutes i'll be surprised and you were like you know, you, you waved your hand like, uh, yeah, like yeah, yeah, completely non-committal. It's fine. It's going to be great. So yeah. it, se- it seems like it's um, like wrestling is like improv less in the sense that it is like if you go to a comedy theater and watch an improv sure. show and there's a back line and they do. And it's it's a lot more like 
um, a Christopher Guest movie or <laughs> Curb Your Enthusiasm or yes. something. Like where if yes, you've ever, okay. if, you've, if you've ever Very seen the so. if you've ever seen the scripts for Christopher Guest movies or for um, um, Curb Your Enthusiasm or anything like that, yeah, it's all of the beats. Mm. It's all uh, it's the plot. There might be one or two times where it's like say this particular yeah. sentence here, but then like you know, but then feel free to work you know yeah. work around it because it seems like the idea is you have your vision, you have what you want to happen but you also know that this only works if you let people yeah. get out there and do the things that yeah, they're good they're, at yeah they're they're not dolls they're you know it's it's uh you know even removing wrestling from it going back to UCB and stuff they had bit shows that was like let's do you know it's the final episode of the sopranos so we're doing a Supra- you know an hour long soprano show uh, and I, I was interviewed about the difference between UCBW and, and those shows, and now this same thing carries over to XSW. It's the difference between a game of Monopoly and a game of Dungeons and Dragons. Like you're still filling the same time in your meetup, mm-hmm. but whatever happened here still matters in the future. And everybody, like uh, being a thimble versus being Gorvan the Destroyer, yeah. like it's it's a wildly different space to play in. All right, so we could talk to you for yeah, hours yeah, yeah. about um, XSW. And, and I, I, I don't, I'm sorry to, to, to stop that at this point, but we should get to our matches for the week. Can, can I get one thing in yeah, about yeah, the Christopher yeah. Guest movies? Uh, if, if you want to see an example of like uh, wrestling done in that, watch the DVD commentary for This is Spinal Tap because it's the three of them just doing their characters the whole time oh. as though some hack documentarian made a movie that made them look like That's idiots awesome. 20 years previous. That's yeah. great. They're they're uh, they're and still they just the best. Go. Yeah. And that's that. Um, I, you had a last... And yeah, no, I was going to say, um, there will be an episode in the future where we do a much more in-depth uh, right. interview sure. on this because uh, I find this fucking fascinating. <laughs> yeah, cool. And uh, this is also... Uh, and frankly, I enjoyed XSW more than ninety-five <laughs> percent sure. of the WWE matches that you guys have shown me. Over, yeah, and so will you. Watch <laughs> <it>. <laughs> and before we throw to this, yeah. I just want to say these two matches we're going to get into today. I chose because they are the two parts of my brain, and they are the <laughs> elements that went on to make Excellent. extremely serious wrestling. Go ahead. Excellent. So yeah, um, so our good match, which I was overjoyed uh, when Doc told me that Fesh wanted to discuss this one is uh, Daniel Bryan versus Brock Lesnar from last year's Survivor Series, Survivor Series 2018. At the time, Bryan was the WWE champion and Lesnar was the Universal champion, though neither title was on the line. Um, And I consider this to be the first uh, contemporary pro wrestling masterpiece. And uh, I have a lot to say about it. I'm really excited to hear what Fesh has to say. Uh, always interested to hear what Doc has to say about these matches and intrigued about <laughs> what Evan might say and whether he'll pick up on some of the same things that uh, we find really uh, amazing about this one. Uh, and then the bad match for this week is Oz, the great and powerful, <laughs> versus Tim Parker from WCW That's Super not, Brawl 1 you know. in 1991. <laughs> Let's give Tim Parker his... Come on, well, Tim Parker. Tim, I was originally going to be like some schlub <laughs> named Tim Parker, but I thought leaving it at just his name was sufficient. Um, oh, boy. And I'm really excited to talk about that match <laughs> yeah. as well. It, a, a match that... Uh, the introduction to the match seemed to last for hours or <laughs> days, and in some ways I feel like I'm still on my couch watching the introduction to that match. Welcome to Oz. And yet the actual match itself 
lasted as long as that pause that I just made. <laughs> yes. Uh, which was very interesting. I think there were two moves, maybe three. I think if you count a boot to the gut, I think yeah. three, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Oz's entire range at the, at the time. I thought the match itself as a squash match, mm. and Evan has been wanting to do a whole episode on squash oh, matches. Okay. Well, yeah, because you guys um, keep talking about it. I'm fast. I'm mostly fascinated by the jobber position. Sure. That that seems like a really interesting part of wrestling yeah, yeah. to me. But yeah, I thought as a squash, it was actually very Absolutely. effective. Um, that um, Oz's finisher was devastating. He yeah. picks him up. Uh, uh, he drops a house on him. He spins him up in the air <laughs> and he lands. Right? Yeah, basically. <laughs> Um, oh man, Evan! You didn't recognize Oz once he took the mask off. I did off? not. You guys were like, "Oh, do you recognize this dude?" I mean, I guess he looked like sort of a generic, ha- Lee handsome kind of. Uh, are you a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fan? <laughs> oh, I, we haven't told him about this either. I well, okay. okay. I I yeah, I would no. say I am. Yeah, sure. How about Secret of the Ooze? You like Secret of the Ooze? Uh yeah. It's been a while since I watched it. But and you didn't recognize us. It was that Casey Jones. No, no. no. Okay, so no, right. That was Elias Cotius. Think bigger. Uh, was that Think super? Oh, um, what else? Who? What else happened in that movie? Uh, he he was the super shredder. Uh, but that's he not, didn't recognize uh, him. No, that's, that's not where you should have recognized him from. That is Kevin uh, Nash. Punisher movie. The first Punisher <laughs> movie. Uh, that is that is Kevin Nash, who you know as Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Wait, that's the, the same guy. Michaels. Yeah. Yes, that's the, the same guy. This was years before he was Diesel. They they were like, man, you're really tall and muscular. We're gonna put. The most ridiculous gimmick we can think of on you and present you to the crowd. He looked like he was like from a different place. Like well, he, he had looked- a silver mullet. Well, he's from a different land. It's a good, uh, odds. Uh, yeah, it's he was jacked to the gills. At oh, that they point. were not drug testing at that point in WCW for anything. He was much heavier as Oz than he was as uh, as Diesel. And huh? Yeah, it's yeah. That guy. I d- okay. Yeah, yeah, I did not. I d- he also yeah. wasn't like out of breath. <laughs> I guess I like only saw his face one. for two seconds. That's, right. That's really the whole. Uh, yeah, because I, because there was the whole, because there was the intro was going on, and I'll be honest, I kind of got on my phone after a while mm. with the intro. I was like, oh my god, uh, and then Laura was like, oh, it started, and I was like, huh, what? Oh, and then it was over, and then <laughs> so that was <laughs> I, I those big bug eyes. It's, yeah. I mean, he effectively threw that guy into the floor. Like yeah. that looked very convincing. Uh, well, uh, the me... same way that actually. That was why I commented on the match between him and Shawn Michaels when we watched it, uh, <laughs> is that it did really, like, his finishing move really looks like he is saying, That's like, it. I am throwing this person into the garbage. Yeah. I am done with this person. Yeah. So I want to give some context on the Wizard of Oz thing, not explaining to everybody what the Wizard of Oz is. That's a different podcast. So <laughs> the reason that they did Oz, WCW had just been acquired by Turner. And Turner was pushing heavily their classic movies. You never made that connection, did no, you? And that no, rules. so they were pushing. And they were really this pushing point, Zardoz. Have, no, no, <laughs> no, it's not no. That, it's not they classic. were really pushing. We have the Wizard of Oz. So why not? Make a Wizard of Oz character in WCW, <laughs> right? That's how wrestling works. Yeah. <laughs> this was well, Dusty Rhodes' I mean, creation, right? Yeah, this was Dusty's creation, according and, to Kevin Nash. And, and Dusty's du- had some great ideas, and this was not one of them. Dusty's on commentary, just gushing over it the whole time. Like, wow, this really knocked my socks off. Oh, this is awesome. Uh, I love Dusty, but yeah, uh, yeah he's responsible for some of the greatest and worst things in wrestling history. So that 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 uh, 
So when I was given the binary of good and bad yeah. <laughs> coming on here, it's like, well, I love bad shit. So yeah, so, so do we. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's the thing that was The hard. reason like, we show bad stuff to Evan is not to torture Evan, yeah, even yeah. if that's what happens. Uh, it's, it's part of the reason. It, it's a because bit. like wrestling fans like to celebrate these gigantic blunders because it's funny. It's like, how did enough people approve this? The, the, a recurring theme on this podcast apparently is that I, as somebody who does not like wrestling, but am begrudgingly like willing to admit that there's some stuff that's cool, I seem to have basically the same position as most wrestling fans. Yeah. Like yeah. it's most like life long WWE mm -hmm. devotees. Like, I remember years ago we were watching Raw and you were there and you were trying to watch it and then you know an hour or two into it you start going this is terrible and then you <laughs> list everything all the wrestling fans complain about on Raw and you're like I'm sorry I don't mean to crap on your stuff and we're like no no that's it's this episode is bad. Most of the episodes now are bad. We wish it was better. We have better wrestling around, yeah. but it's not produced on television every week for hours and hours. The difference is the wrestling fans, and by now, it, I'm they've lost me uh, at least for as a weekly viewer. But it, people just keep watching it, <laughs> no matter how bad they. Well, it's ritual. It's it's you know mm -hmm. it's it's uh, especially you know generationally spiritual. Stuff isn't connecting as hard with you know certain uh, you know a, a large swath yeah, of the population. Yeah, that's true. Rather than going to church, yeah. we go to the arena so for it's sure. Just, it's and, and paying our penance, you know. And of course, and of course, and like there's the power of nostalgia, oh, where it's like I mean, I watched I watched uh, all of Disenchantment twice. It's not funny. <laughs> it's really not funny. But Matt Groening's yeah. art style yeah. is such a, and he was on the Epstein plane, so like there's like all kinds of questionable <laughs> shit now. Did, did you not read about that? It's fucked up. Uh, and so, but there's, but all, but like Matt Groening is just such an, an yeah. integral part there's of my childhood. Yeah. Just hits when you see the art style. That's yeah. so like, so that like, right. even though like dis disenchantment's not really that good, yeah. I still just, I'm watching it and it's pressing that button. Yeah. I watched the first few episodes. I thought it was fine. But like, yeah. whenever I see the Simpsons now, I think it's fine. Right. Yeah. But whenever exactly. I see the Simpsons from 20 years ago, I think this is incredible yeah. still. Yeah. Beat um, for beat. So, the joke with them in the phone booth doesn't age well. The joke with them not knowing what a computer is doesn't age well. Well, you know, the show's been on for 30 yeah. years, so there you go. Um, I, uh, yeah, so, all right, this Welcome match. To Oz. Are we Did, talking Oz first? Let's, let's talk the, I, let we, we have been, so yeah. we can, I, I and think, if yeah, it goes second, yeah. we can cut I just said up. everything I was going to say I, about I, Oz. Yeah, yeah, I would like. The two things that please, went around keep there. Keep it going, keep it going. Uh. Finding out that that was the origin of the Oz gimmick was that it was just a corporate tie-in. Yeah. This past Wednesday, Rick and Morty invaded AEW. Yes, in they did. <laughs> I didn't more see naked it. How was that? that? It, they it was did fine. it right in the sense they put it with the best friends, where it's like, all right, these guys, even in their gimmicks, are dudes who would watch Rick and Morty. Sure. Even it, if it, it was also the Halloween episode, so yeah. it would make more sense that they'd dress up. They more come out and cosplay it. You know, he, Orange Cassidy is out there. Just then, he takes it off. Yeah, which feels. A very on-game move for him to eventually be like, all right, I'm done doing this thing. Let me right. do Sit my in the thing. corner with my yeah. hands in my pockets. They got to be stacking money because I also saw the Death Stranding Rick and Morty ad, okay. yeah. which Death Stranding is is uh, a huge video game that's about to come out uh, right, that's right. been like hotly anticipated for. And they did a fucking thirty second Rick and Morty ad where they're like the characters from Death Stranding mm -hmm. talking about it. Maybe uh, those yeah. two year breaks are just stockpiling yeah. <laughs> money. Uh, <laughs> I, have a, I have a feeling that Harmon wants to get out pretty soon probably yeah. and he just wants to milk it as much well, as he can i think he that. knows that the kind of fan base that is so rabid for his stuff will turn on him as soon as something happens yeah. that uh, that yeah. they don't like so the best way to do that is just yeah. to not produce it um <laughs> and what was your what was your second thing the other thing is about dusty uh 
he also had the Hunchbacks, right? That was him, right? Um, no, I don't no? think I don't think they were the Hunchbacks. I think the Hunchbacks was uh, was Bill Hurd, okay. one of the one of the interim presidents of WCW, which is a whole other story. Maybe I'll tell you one day. I mean, it's not a lot of sources of bad creative in WCW. Was, over so was yeah, Hurd yeah. also the Ding Dongs, or was that Dust? I think Hurd was also the Ding Dongs. Okay, then I'm confused. He, he might have been the Dynamic bad. Dudes. Was that? Okay. You know, the um, they just. Uh, Covered the Dynamic Dudes on Jim Ross's podcast this week, and he says uh, it was the Dynamic Dudes was a collective effort of everyone on the committee at the time, including himself, including Jim Cornette, including it was guys who said skateboarding was big amongst the kids, so have them go out their skateboards, and kids yeah. will bring their skateboards to the arena. It's like, well, what will they do with their skateboards? <laughs> yeah. The also, arena? Evan, these were guys who could not skateboard. They could not skateboard. Yeah. If they, they could, could throw skateboard, throw up a shaka like nobody. Can. Every, <laughs> right now in AEW, there's a guy named Darby Allen who, who can skateboard, and so he uses a skateboard. And everybody loves it because you can tell he can really skateboard. He'll skateboard down the ramp and clothesline but somebody. That there just w- wasn't enough to keep the whole thing going. There like, was Toasty Tom in House of Glory first. But. Sure. What's a shame is that everything you just said, also true about the Beta O'Rourke campaign. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, if he had skateboarded on stage and just clotheslined everyone else, that'd be. It did. He did do. You saw the him skateboarding on stage. He had. Yes. Oh, he had many events where he skateboarded on stage. But no yeah. violence. So I'm sorry for complaining, conflating okay. Dusty and, and Bill Hurd, but I hear all those things, and you know, there's a pleasure center in my brain that that hits. <laughs> and with the entire experience of XSW, it, it is. It's kind of like, yeah, I, I, I've I've uh, cut out a middleman and, and cheated a little bit by putting it in this weird negative zone between two worlds. But I, it is a challenge to me to justify everything ridiculous that we do and try to make the most ridiculous ideas matter. And have a gravity to them, and a, and an, instead of and then it's a therefore, and when it is just Oz exists purely as well, we have Wizard of Oz, uh, he's big, let's put him out there, yep. as opposed to why is he Oz, where is Oz going? Because the fun thing about Oz is, I last summer went through on the network and watched every Oz match there was. <laughs> There's about five. <laughs> yeah, he he says in total he had maybe twenty matches yeah. as Oz, and it was really over in Japan when they went to Japan. No doubt. Yeah. But, you know, you watch that entrance, and it's big. The second entrance, not quite as big. <laughs> Third entrance, there's no mask anymore. Fourth entrance, it's just the cape, no intro, no barely monkey. any music, no nothing. And by the last match, she doesn't even have the cape anymore. Yeah. It's just it's, stripping yeah. everything away because they've bailed on the idea. Uh, and I feel like so much what we call bad wrestling is not that the idea is inherently bad, just that you clearly didn't plan out where it should go why it's happening you didn't commit to it and i uh, to tie us back to the good match my, my one of my big wrestling philosophies is anything is allowed as long as you take the right route to get there mm. and then that route uh, that that getting there affects the larger okay. picture and i think the good match again it kind of does exist in a vacuum brian won the title Six days before? Yeah, so yeah. I, I I can provide the whole context Please, yeah. for the thing. Uh, before that, I just want to mention um, Paul Heyman. I think this is like the sort of difference in the booking strategies of, say, Paul Heyman versus Vince McMahon, where Paul Heyman has always said he always has a finish in mind. Yeah. He always has an end to the story, and he doesn't do anything unless he has that payoff yeah. in mind. Whereas the WWE seems to just start things, and then they meander into nowhere. And you can't even call it treading water because it's not consistent enough. <laughs> like To tread water, you have to constantly be doing it. But if you you do it for two weeks, and then it just disappears from TV. Mike Kanellis and uh, yeah. Maria Kanellis are 
they did took big swings for two weeks and yeah. now are no longer on TV at it's, all. It's like the uh, it's the Stephen Moffat approach to writing, right? Where it's like you know if you watch the Stephen Moffat years on Doctor Who or if you watch the new Sherlock, it's kind of got this constant like, oh, big crazy plot twist. What's gonna happen? Tune in next season and you'll find out. And then that thing slowly becomes less important yep. over the course of the next season. And it's like, oh, here's another plot twist. What's gonna win on? Like, find out. Maybe it'll resolve in the future. And then just nothing ever resolves because they're just doing these big spots to try to get you to come back right. and not actually doing anything. Or or Lost, which yeah, set up all the these ultimate. mysteries. And it was really funny because after the Fiend-Rollins debacle at Hell in a Cell, yeah. Carl Anderson did an interview where he was like, hey, man, you know, I really like that show Lost. And, you know, sometimes you just got to wait it out and see what happens. And it's like, that is not, not the right example. analogy. No. <laughs> like, not I mean, in the It slightest. is the right analogy, but it is yeah. not a helpful one. So before we get into context of this match, I want to say uh, why I'm tying this to that is beyond this match existing in vacuum being good, like I said about the, the mosaics and all that, uh, I already loved this match, and then the SmackDown after, Daniel Bryan cuts a promo that retroactively justifies certain things in this match that leads to the future of I his did, character. I didn't get a chance to I watch it. I did ask you to yes, watch it. Yes, you did. I'm sorry. I did not get <laughs> well, a chance on, to watch it. Hold on, hold on. Can we, we can explain I, I it didn't all. get That's a chance fine. to watch it either. Can we just pause, and I can bring up the network on my phone, and we can watch it. We've done shit like that before. Okay. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, yeah. Give, me, give me one minute. Um, I, will, I will take this moment uh, also just to quickly say, uh, when I was... 17, I took a writing class with um, uh, legendary cult science fiction author Terry Bisson, who wrote um, They're Made of Meat is probably his most famous oh, short story. Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing it's an amazing thing. He taught me something that he was talking about writing science fiction, mm -hmm. but it is probably the most universally applicable rule to like any art form whatsoever, be it wrestling or free jazz or anything, where you can go as far out and be as weird as you want, but you have the further out you go, the more you have to have something yeah. that connects people. The more that you have to have, you have to do that work. And like that's why it is hard to make stuff that is really out there and still connects with people because the further out you go, the more you have to do that work mm -hmm. to really get somebody in there, to really get somebody involved. And I... Uh... I personally have a hang-up with fantasy. I'm much, I, I'm mm. easier with sci-fi because, again, I can see that work because some of that work I've already brought to it by just being a person. There's usually a base reality of that. With fantasy, you have to learn the rules of this new world yeah. before you can decide if you like it or not. I feel like fantasy in the last 10, 15 years like, finally got really, really good yeah. because uh, authors sort of figured out, not that there was no good fantasy before, right. but authors finally kind of figured out how to navigate that, like, dropping you in and right. not having to have the first two chapters be, you know, exposition. Exactly. How to drop you in and still keep you interested and then, like, slowly teach you the rules. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, so this match between Lesnar and Brian, uh, the context coming from two different directions. For the fir uh, On the first hand, there was Brian who had gone into early retirement due to uh, post-concussion issues a few years before that. And he had just recently come back and it was really the crowd was really excited for him immediately when he came back. But after a few months, they kind of quieted down. His babyface character was kind of stale. Uh, the, the crowd wasn't so into it. They were more interested in people like AJ Styles. You can only have your character be I'm back for so long. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, AJ Styles had just had this year long title reign, um, which started 
in the sort of weird, surprising manner at the previous Survivor Series or just before the previous Survivor Series. They had also built a champion versus champion match. At that time, it was Brock Lesnar versus Jinder Mahal. And they had AJ Styles win the title just before Survivor Series. So the match became Lesnar versus Styles, which was much more exciting for the fans. And it was a great match. Uh, Lesnar won. Styles went on to have this long title reign. Uh, Evan, you already saw him wrestle Shinsuke Nakamura at WrestleMania that year, uh, which we covered on one of our premium episodes uh, for our $5 tier Patreon. And so so now Survivor Series was approaching again. The match was supposed to be Brock Lesnar versus AJ Styles, but at the SmackDown just before Survivor Series, Daniel Bryan wrestles AJ Styles for the title. Um, the, the match is booked because uh, in the story because Paul Heyman comes out and kind of goads AJ Styles into it by saying that uh, AJ Styles is the greatest in-ring performer of this generation except for Daniel Bryan the second he said that I knew Bryan was winning the title that (laughs) night because he was putting him over in a way that would set up for a match with Brock Lesnar so during the match the ref gets bumped Bryan kicks AJ Styles in the balls and ends up winning the title in this heelish manner. Yeah, he's still ostensibly a babyface right until that moment. Oh, right. Yeah. So now he's a heel. Now they're they're going to have a rare heel versus heel match in Lesnar versus Bryan, which is always an interesting thing to see how that's going to go. Um, and so Bryan is in a sort of delicate position, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit more, just in terms of having to wrestle the guy who's going to be the aggressor in the match, Lesnar. Uh, he's going to fight from the bottom. He's going to be sort of in the babyface position, but he just has this brand new heel character that he wants to keep a heel. So that gives the the match a really uh, unique dynamic. In, in a lesser wrestler than Daniel Bryan, uh, they wouldn't be able to pull it off, but he's he's the best. He knows how to, how to work his character. Yeah, I would say most wrestlers would not. Yeah, that's a lot of challenges to put in your checklist, you know, to to try to hit in what a week's notice. Uh, yeah, right? less because that was you can. I don't feel like that was planned a couple of months out. No, by any means. I, yeah, I think you can see the whole situation as a kind of puzzle that Brian had to solve, yeah. and he did so brilliantly. Yeah, so I guess we can start with the entrances, <laughs> which cool. are really interesting. Um, Brian comes out and he starts to do his yes pose at the because the crowd likes to chant yes along with him, but then he doesn't do it. He, he he does it like a couple times and then stops. When he walks to the ring, he does this little monkey walk <laughs> for a second, which is a subtle reference to uh, an episode of Total Divas when Brian <laughs> was in retirement. And he's talking to Sami Zayn and he's explaining to Sami Zayn the new wrestling style that he was developing specifically to wrestle Brock Lesnar. And he's showing him these little like monkey moves and stuff. And so he's suggesting to the crowd, anyone who could pick up on that, oh, maybe I'm going to have this <laughs> match that I had been planning with Brock Lesnar for years and everyone had been looking forward to. Um uh, as early as WrestleMania 31, which we talked about, you know, uh, that match between also behind the paywall (laughs) between uh, Reigns and Bryan, um, where, you know, everyone wanted to see Bryan versus Lesnar at that mania. And that match never happened. Uh, Instead, we got this match, which was quite different. Um, So, yeah, so Bryan goes to the ring. He has a weird smile on his face. The announcers are saying he seems to know something that we don't know. Which I think is very vital. I'm going to add my own personal context to this. I have a very boring job. I am a bellman at a hotel that works the night shift, so there's nothing to do. 
I know a couple of guys that do that, yeah. <laughs> they get in a lot of World of Warcraft. <laughs> I watch a lot of things on my phone. And there so Sunday nights, if it's a WWE pay-per-view, I'm watching in the back. However, my shift ends at 10. And mm. that means the last hour of the pay-per-view is me walking to the train, waiting for the train, and sometimes cut off by the train. I That's that. the context in which I watched this match. Oh, waiting boy. on the subway for a train, and I hear that line specifically. And I'm like, they don't say that unless something's up. And now that something could ultimately lead to the result we all assume is going to happen anyway. Brock Lesnar winning. But there's going to be something happening. And that, putting your audience in that zone, that intrigue, is the most important thing to me about professional wrestling. Though, of course, the live crowd doesn't hear that That's line. That's fair, yeah. So they're yeah. not primed for something unique to happen. Now, what the live crowd gets is uh, is Daniel Bryan taunting Brock Lesnar, which nobody does for obvious reasons, and getting Lesnar to chase him around and, and basically trying to get Lesnar to grab him and throw him. Brock Lesnar really looks like an escaped test subject from a Nazi superhuman. Yeah, he really like, does. Like a shaved lab. bear with yeah. a person's face. He is, yeah. he is a boy from Brazil, 100%. <laughs> like, like Brock Lesnar is an anomaly in the professional wrestling world. The contracts he signed are anomalous. His athletic prowess is anomalous. His, like, he's not the most charismatic guy in the world, but his presence is unlike anybody else. They're trying now. I think they're trying now to give him kind of an Andre the Giant-ish aura, which yeah. is very difficult. But he has it. He comes out, and you presume he's just going to win in 30 seconds unless he doesn't. Now, um, Brian, when he's doing this taunting, is not doing it in, like, a fun, entertaining way that might get the crowd behind him. He just, like, seems like kind of a jerk. He's running from Lesnar like a coward. So he's still, you know, he's being a heel, um, even against this, uh, but without making Lesnar the babyface. I, um... All right, so I had, I had a couple thoughts mm -hmm. about this match. One was this felt like a this felt like the midterm for like what have I learned about wrestling so far, <laughs> uh, yeah. in the sense that it was like this was clearly a match about psychology and about two characters, which obviously you could argue that literally all wrestling matches are that three characters three, uh, and this is what you're still missing. So okay. wait, let me talk a little bit more about the okay, match. Okay, okay, so. After Brian's taunting, Lesnar finally catches him and kills him. He hits him with a suplex that looks like it cripples Brian. Brian sells it like he's had another concussion, right? He hits him with another suplex and another suplex. And Brian is not fighting back. He's not giving the crowd anything to get behind. He's just selling like he's dead. And you start to think, oh, shit. They're just going to have Lesnar squash him like they said they were going to do apparently at the SummerSlam a few years before that after Brian won the title. The report was that Vince McMahon said, oh, I want to break the fans hearts. And they did it with John Cena basically instead because Brian was injured then as well. So he just kills him and kills him with no fighting back. So the crowd doesn't turn against Lesnar. They don't start booing Lesnar. They start booing the match because they don't think they're going to get what they paid for or what they expected or what they wanted. They think they're just going to get a squash at this point. And it's heartbreaking. I'm thinking as a fan watching it, shit, I can't watch this anymore. Like, this is over for me. They just ruined my favorite character. 
yeah, even if the crowd didn't want Brian necessarily to win on a heel babyface kind of thing, uh, the, the hardcore fans that finally saw Brian win the title again, even if they're game to go along and boo his character, they still really love him. And even if Brock beats him, fine. But if Brock is just going to beat him to no, uh, to no response and then just win, which is not past the possibility, then that's it's a real betrayal to the fans. They just did it with Kofi Kingston, and if I were a hardcore Kofi Kingston fan, I would be done. Like that, would they would have just you know completely destroyed I, my faith in the product. I have a friend who was the whole summer. He's like, I'm not gonna get rid of my network account if Kofi is the champion. I have to keep. I can't be yeah. a bad faith thing. So the moment that happens, like, cool. Now I can get rid of my WWE. Like, it's, it's a bad faith situation with that. Before we overexplain this, I do want to hear uh, the rest of Evans, uh, the rest of Evans' impressions, because so, we have a lot of explaining to do. But I want to hear what, well, he, what he has to say. Okay, I mean, there's the. There's the way the match turns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well let's okay, let's hear okay. Evan's impressions, and then <laughs> we can overexplain. Yeah, yeah, okay. There'll be plenty right. of time for contestants. Well, so, this we, match. well, all right. Here is here is the greater issue, I guess, and I, this is this plays into a lot of what we talk about on this podcast. So, while I was watching the match, all right. So, there's everything that had like I watched the 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 promo that he does on the following SmackDown. Uh, and then there was the whole bit that we were talking about before we started recording there where you were, that you were kind of explaining to me, like, like the, the fuller picture of the storyline and of the psychology and everything like that. And I guess it kind of comes back to the central issue was as I was watching the match and didn't have every shred of context, I was like, the fuck am I watching? <laughs> like, this is, I was like, okay, I can understand I understand to some degree what is happening. I understand the psychology here. I understand that there's going to be so, hopefully some sort of interesting reversal that you don't see coming because it be, becomes obvious early on, like, all right, well, Brian's going to have some sort of a comeback, right? They're not just going to make me watch this. But the crowd didn't think that. They made the crowd think he wasn't going to I mean, is there a, a precedent for that yes. where, like, they will just beat up somebody yes. up for 20 minutes and Brock that's Lesner it? Brock Lesnar specifically. Oh. That, so that's is, Suplex yeah. City became the what, thing. What, is that did fun? It to John Cena, it's, it's the crowd hates it, and that's... So, Evan, you said before that this was a match between two characters. It was not. The third character here is the audience. And if you don't fully appreciate that, you haven't actually grasped what's happening in the match. So one piece of the psychology I think that's very interesting is that Brock Lesnar doesn't try and win the match. He doesn't right. cover Daniel Bryan. He when he finally breaks a, a hold at one or a pin at one. Well, point. he finally hits his finish, the F5, which one of has been beating everybody recently in an age where everybody has to hit their finisher a bunch of times. Lesnar hits one F5 and he wins, and he covers Bryan half-heartedly and then pulls him up and laughs. And if I could, you know, all the way to the finish of the match when Lesnar does win with the F5. Uh, he gets a nice snug hooked leg cover, and then the story, you know, isn't that Brian can beat the Beast. The story is that the Beast did not take Daniel Bryan seriously. By the end of the match, he very much took Daniel Bryan seriously. I mean, that's one of like six stories being told. <laughs> like, one level, one level of the yeah. story, yeah. but on even just the most liminal level, you know, it's a rope a dope, right? You can grasp that mm, idea yeah. even without the context of Suplex City. You're like, all right, the little guy is trying to. Maybe not going to work, but he's trying to out outlast. But it's the that's, specific that's, selling that Brian it's, does. It's, it's Brian. the the Braun fight in season one of Game of Thrones, where Braun is like avoiding the guy with big heavy armor, and until the guy just gets tired, and then Braun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But so, so the way that Brian is selling is is subtle, but 
really important. He's not selling like someone who's taking big damage and trying to fight back. He's selling like someone who is just taking it and just being ragdolled and doesn't have anything He's not trying to, fight to get back sympathy. With. The so, word is sympathy. Yeah. So to go back to that line of he knows something we don't know, in the night of, you again assume it's, oh, it's a strategy to win the wrestling match. Tuesday night when he in his promo explains the something that we don't know is that he's trying to have Brock Lesnar beat the old Daniel Bryan out of him. That's the something we don't know. His winning isn't about winning the match. It's about And like, you know to some degree I think this is a rationalization to sure. like like part of like trying to make the story make sense. But we, it worked. And, and it worked, yeah. And that's the thing. It, it was a treat, it's, a, if, it's only a cop-out if it doesn't work. <laughs> so guess, here, here, is maybe, here is maybe something I did not understand about wrestling beforehand, and uh, maybe this is part of me not really giving wrestling the credit it deserved beforehand. So you're saying that it is something that will regularly happen in wrestling where they will have a match, a big fucking deal match, and the point of this match is is to alienate the audience. It's to anger the audience. What the WWE has been achieving has been alienating their audience. <laughs> it's a subtle, really delicate balance. If yeah. you have the confidence of your audience, and this is, isn't just in wrestling, it's in like all forms of media. If you have the confidence of your audience where your audience will let you torture them because they know the payoff will eventually be good, then you can tell stories like that. And in, in this match in particular, you know, the WWE does not have the confidence in their audience. But as much when the crowd finally completely turned on the match, there was this turnaround. And you can see when the turnaround happens, the crowd doesn't start cheering. The crowd immediately bolts to their feet and are paying attention. And they want to see maybe, maybe Brian can beat Brock Lesnar and in the rest of the match. The crowd is red hot. And they want to see Brian beat Brock Lesnar, but they do not cheer for Brian himself. He still remains the heel. They still don't like him, but they want him to win. But beyond, so this is where Brian, I think, specifically as the artist, comes in. Because he knows the WWE has been so bad at satisfying their customers <laughs> that he can trade on that fact in order to produce this great match. Specifically can, with his character, I might add, where, where they've, they've consistently noted how popular he is and then haven't gone with him. And so, uh, and that—that's what's also feeds into his character even more as the guy working against the huge machine that's trying to keep him from expressing his art. So I'm gonna go back to a question you posed. Yes. Uh, about how there's your your matches that are actively trying to anger the audience. Mm -hmm. Um, and like in a way, just to clarify, okay. like not not in a not in a way where the heel is supposed to make the audience upset, but in a way where like the point is to make the audience go like. Fuck this. The booking is the biggest heel in the company now. <laughs> but even when that's not an accident, when that is the intention, those are the same functions. The heels promo coming out and saying your sports team sucks and this match putting on uh, that they put on are to serve the same idea, the same way that in a horror movie you're seeing all these characters you're supposed to, like at least, uh, again, in the platonic <laughs> ideal, get killed to get heat on this the slasher so that when the final girl puts it away, we're mm -hmm. that more satisfied. If there is no anger there's no happiness yeah. so again there's a lot of it's interesting bringing you in, in in 2019 where there is a lot of failure and there is a lot of peeking behind the curtain but the same ideals are in place since you know the primordial age which is like david goliath <laughs> like mm -hmm. this match it, while it is a perfect example of all this stuff 
that's what's so interesting is that we are lost in a desert and we see this water and we're yeah. treating it like it's the greatest thing in the world. It's like this is what wrestling is supposed to be. It's not that complicated. This is just a complicated version of it. WWE, one thing they really are good at, though, is spinning things. So it, sometimes it's really frustrating because it's like, well, did they plan this, like, you know, sure. complex <laughs> machination or are they just rationalizing, well, you know? Sometimes, you know, you'll go see a band you really like that maybe you don't know that they're terrible live and you go see them live and they're just like, they're just not good at it. Like they're just they're out of tune, blah, 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 and you get angry at that. And then sometimes you'll go see like John Zorn, and who is a who is a master musician, and his and you'll see an hour of music where he is specifically trying right. to upset you and yeah. make you question like why did I come out tonight? Why do I enjoy th what is wrong? And like point out all these contradictions. And you know, like one thing kind of sucks, and then the other thing is uh, is is art, and is a confrontational kind of art. Yeah. And maybe you think it sucks, maybe it doesn't. But there's, a and I guess I was not ready to recognize that the second thing can exist in wrestling because yeah. I was so used to the first thing being all of the bad <laughs> wrestling that it's, I saw. It's a thin line, and we've mentioned Andy Kaufman before. Yeah, you know, when you yeah. go to see Andy Kaufman, you know, have has he ripped you off? Or as has he produced a masterpiece? Right. Well, was, certainly today, because he's been dead for well, decades. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he got all that from <laughs> wrestling, is the thing, and people know that kind of. But no, he got he saw the bad guy wrestlers and like, man, nobody's just trying to be hated. What if I did that and it was a massive success? Or John Cage, you know, like is he a fucking ripoff artist or is he brilliant with you know three thirty three? It's also the same four thirty three. Four thirty, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Uh, magic, you know, it's fake. Mm. They tell you that, mm. and then they fool you. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, that does, you know, the skill isn't in making something disappear and bringing it back. It's making you question how they did that. Sure. And there's plenty of, again, postmodern magi magicians out there who will say that, the, the, you know, their pledge will involve exposing the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And tell you to watch everything that they do. And that itself is having you look over here so they can do the actual trick. Uh, this match... Again, is it trying to accomplish a simple goal, but because of how quote unquote smart <laughs> the audience right. has become, in order to pull that trick off, we have to make the match the heel, yeah. the company accidentally has been doing that to themselves already, but play into that in a way that no other art form really can. To be I like, you hate, you think you like music, but you hate music, like that mm. relationship doesn't really exist in that fandom as far as i can tell it's like th this is a th this is a concept that not only exists in wrestling but might be unique to wrestling yeah. the idea yeah. that you will purposefully infuriate the fans and so it's a matter of let's find new dimensions exactly for this. let's find in 2019 after too many years of wwe after too many human sacrifices to vince <laughs> like how, like what? What are some new ways that we it's, can uh, expose yeah. use this thing that is at the core of it? To, to, you you got to think of the audience to some degree as the medium. Like that's what you're m manipulating, <laughs> literally. Like painters manipulate paint, and music musicians manipulate sound. To go back to the horror movie thing, it's the same thing. Is in a horror movie in 2019, you it's so hard to actually boo the bad guy so to speak because you're there for it you're there for your freddy and your jason i know they don't, they don't really make movies anymore but that's the movie us 
is flipping mm. that thing to be like, who is the heel? Who is the baby face in this thing? And, and, you know, we've talked before on this podcast about, you know, the new, there's sort of this new wave of what they call prestige, like elevated yeah. horror, prestige horror, which just means horror that's directed well. Sure. <laughs> uh, and also kind of just means like un- one thing that all these movies have in common is that there's no part where you're ju- where you give up on the protagonist because sure. you think they're so dumb yeah. that they're like, all right, well, you deserve to get axe right. murdered if you're going to go into the basement by yourself. Like, But now imagine you were watching that movie and you think that you're, you're like this dumb person's going to the basement and i don't know how to tie like that's what's great about this match i don't yeah. know how to make the horror movie analog here <laughs> but somehow they get you to 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 then go wait no that final gore was smart this whole time i'm the idiot the, the, like and i really hope they kill that slasher like that you don't see i want to point out that at the end of this match the crowd is satisfied and the result that they wanted didn't happen exactly and that, both of those things to are, go back yeah. to brian's promo the goal was not to win Right, the goal was not to win. And, and uh, in goal... wrestling at large, yeah. the only reason you should care about wins and losses and baby faces and heels is to give you that reaction. Right, right. So if you can have a reaction like that without any aspect of professional wrestling being a sport, that's still accomplishing the goal. It's an entertainment company. And not that Brian wasn't trying to win in the story. No, for sure. Which right, should be. Course, if a wrestler course. isn't trying to win, like... Who the fuck cares about the match? Sure. In some in some respect. Well, he was I, looking for a fight. Right. I want to say a couple more things about uh, what happened in the actual match. Right. So, speaking of music, um, I thought of my mom uh, saw Thelonious Monk a couple of times uh, in her youth, and um, she mentioned to me that he would show up, pass out on the piano because you know he was like doped up or something, um, and then he'd pass out on the piano. And be out for like 15 minutes. I mean, it, it seemed the, the, the crowd would be like, oh, he must be doped up or something like that. That was, I guess, what he was trying to portray. And then after 15 minutes, he'd play one note. And then five minutes later, he'd play another note. Five minutes later, he'd play another note. And then he'd be off to the races. And um, it, it reminded me of that because uh, Lesnar beats the crap out of Brian for 15, 20 minutes. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden Brian kicks him in the head once. And the crowd lights up. Which is the most forgettable thing in most matches, is somebody going to be picked up and then the other guy hits them once. Your brain will just... It's a blind spot that your mind just blurs over because you know where they're moving on to the next thing. Since he's gotten no offense in up to this point, none. They didn't waste that hope by giving him a bunch of hope spots. Now, 15 minutes into the match, he moves a little. Okay, is something going to happen? And Lesnar sells it. Mm-hmm. Lesnar sells it like, oh, I got kicked in the face. Mm-hmm. He's not dead or nothing. By the third time he got kicked in the face, he's angry about it. And then you know? Brian starts to unleash some offense on Lesnar. He never appeals to the crowd once. He doesn't do a yes chant or, or anything. He doesn't even fire up at all. He just goes at Lesnar, um, you know, hits him with some high-flying moves, but really, he kicks him in the nut. First of all, <laughs> first of all, he reverses the F5 by colliding with the referee yeah. in a really slick way and then kicks Lesnar in the nuts and then hits him with his big flying knee and tries to pin him, and that doesn't work. Then he starts, like, bringing out the big guns, the high-flying moves, and his submission moves. And Lesnar, actually, we should not uh, discount his great selling. When he's in the label lock, his eyes are yes. wide, like, oh, oh shit, man. I think he might tap me out. He, does, like, he looks genuinely surprised. So Brock Lesnar is like like a Super Nintendo boss. The more damage you do yep. to him, the more he glows red, so you can see that it's coming. But, you know? even, but even before that, yeah. he's also a boss, because the whole thing, you're going through, and you're trying to right. figure out what 
the what's the weak point here exactly. where like, what is animation he, yeah. should i wait for to do this thing he, right. do, he does look more like a dark souls boss than <laughs> pretty much any wrestler we've seen so far everything that brian does from this point forward in the match is a finishing move too he doesn't yeah. Yeah. he doesn't start to build right. upon you know anything for emotional he's just no his big knee flying drop kick throw his entire body at him try and Wait. get his one finishing hold on over and over again and the crowd is with it the whole time like the match could end at any minute which is the purpose anyway and going back to brock selling a big it's very rare that i feel like selling is a plot point yeah. it usually seems to just be a thing you do in between things he gives him up for that f5 and then his leg gives gives out oh yeah to go into the <laughs> that was LaBelle fantastic line. that's right. you would think from an outsider that would be a much more common thing in professional wrestling and it's maybe more common than i'm setting it up to be right now there's but, so many matches where they work a body part yeah. like they, they work on the leg the whole match yeah. and then it does not play and into the he finish at all they just splash and then yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, uh, Charlotte versus Asuka. She her she her arm hurts, and then she does the figure eight with one arm, and so it didn't right. matter. So it doesn't and matter, it, and it's like cool, great. We should watch um, that one eventually. I I did have a thought while yeah. we were watching this match because uh, the first Daniel Bryan match we watched, I was like, oh, like he's like a guy like I could be friends with. Like that's <laughs> kind of what it seems like. And then you know, Ben, you had kept describing Daniel Bryan to me as possibly the greatest wrestler of all time. And then I you know, watched the AJ Styles match and this, and I was just like, okay, so his moves are primarily kicking people in the balls <laughs> and running away. Uh, another thing seems like, yeah. Another thing retroactively justified in that promo where my favorite thing in narrative is when somebody's philosophy doesn't change, but their alignment does. Yeah. And when he that whole mm. promo he says, it's like, my whole thing was f have your dreams, fight for you, never give up, right? That's the thing we're told. Don't let anything stop you. Yeah. So why would the rules of wrestling be a thing that stops him from living his dream? And like it does, that's such a good philosophy for a bad guy. The, yeah. the promo also like it's the thing that makes the promo on SmackDown after the match so effective is that everything he says is real. You know, yeah. he did to spend mo you know months and years in hyperbaric chambers because a bunch of doctors said maybe this will help your concussion protocols. And then, when his brain was getting better, he went to university after university after hospital to get brain scans and tests to show my brain is getting better. Let me wrestle, and the WWE wouldn't for for such a long time. Really, until he started threatening to when his contract was up, just be like, well, if you're not gonna let me wrestle, I'll go to Japan and wrestle. I'll go to Mexico and wrestle you're not going to stop me so you could sign me or you could not which plays into the idea that they really are holding him back this whole time they don't want him to be their top star even though the crowd loves him why because he's like progressive politically you know he he eventually replaces the wwe title with an eco-friendly hemp-based uh, <laughs> yeah. wwe title which he could do as a heel Right, as a heel, they'll let him be this great environmentalist heel that everyone boos. Which, again, from the outside, people who hate wrestling without ever watching, you go, "Oh, great, that guy's the bad guy because he, you know, because of global warming." It's like, I get that, and that's ultimately in a meta narrative, probably the truth. Yeah. But from a performer, from the artist and performer's perspective, again, it's another challenge of that guy to be like, "How do I use the things about me that are true that I don't think are bad to become a bad guy?" Sami Zayn is doing that right now oh, in a way that is next fantastic. level it's like it's not the content of the words that are necessarily it's the way they're said but also the reason he's saying them and that there's a uh inherent hypocrisy to every wrestling heel in in the world ever but it's like that only he's not 
it's not a hypocrisy where he's like, I'm claiming to be an environmentalist, and then we found backstage footage of him eating a, a double <laughs> Whopper and throwing it on the ground. It's that he's doing that to be like, I need to save the world so you can all love me. Like, I'm the only one who can save the world. It's like... He's the holier-than-thou exactly. environmentalist, it's, which is a fucking asshole, right? right? And you can play that as a babyface, too. When, when CM Punk was the, the WWE champion and a babyface, and you know, one of his big deals is that he was straight edge, and like they, they were in England. And I can't even remember who the heel was, but they were like, we found video of you going into a pub. Yeah. And there's video of him going into a pub, and Punk is in the ring with a microphone, and he's just like, I met a friend, and we had some fish and chips. That's what you do in London. Right. And My, the crowd cheers. Yeah. Like, yay, fish and chips, London, that's and, where we are, you he know? diffused hypocrisy because yeah. he's like, yeah, my friend drinks. Yeah. I don't. I'm I not, met I'm him not at judging the you. Exactly. When he's a heel, he totally judges yeah. you for doing all of that. Well, yeah. I'm saying the same <laughs> yeah. philosophy, different alignment. Yeah, yeah it's, it seems to really just be about are you using who you are as a person as something that creates a shared experience with right. the audience? Mm-hmm. Or are you using... The, alienate, this this yeah. thing as you uh, you know are, are using yourself as a person as a wedge between you and the audience or as a thing yes. to say and like I'm better than you and or. where that becomes the failures in professional wrestling right now Bailey just turned heel and instead of I, I, I it's the opposite of what I just said I liked so I don't like it is uh <laughs> when it's she comes out with an axe and tears down like her big things that's like her, her inflatable tube man yeah yeah you can do that metaphorically you don't have to yeah. literally <laughs> see her do that in order to get people to boo you that that feels cl- uh depth like there's no sleight of hand there there's no skill to that it's just going you know what that thing you liked about me i'm no longer that what? it's like well yeah that's especially especially because her character seemed like we we did a we did the sasha bailey match uh yeah. a few episodes ago Which, and the uh, brooklyn or? and we talked and about yeah. it a whole bunch on last week's minisode <laughs> yes that we haven't actually recorded yet <laughs> yes yeah yeah that's it <laughs> uh, yeah um but um uh something i that i really liked about her was that she was like anti-edgy yeah. Like it was like it was like right. the opposite, exactly. the inverse of the '90s, yeah. where she was just like, "I'm just, I'm not cynical. I'm just a very exactly. positive person." And it seemed like it would be really easy to turn that, that into heel, something keep that that character, makes, yeah, make, yeah, yeah, it's exactly yeah. the same. We're just like, "I'm really positive," unlike you fuckers. Exactly. Like, yeah. that's so easy. <laughs> but now she's like, just saying, now what she's doing is going, "You guys are fuckers." Also, I'm not positive anymore. It's oh, like cool. Yeah. Neither of those things work together necessarily. Let's just, just throw this character out. Exactly. That, they see that, yeah. That it's is. Not, that is they really never true. understood the character to begin with yeah. on the main roster, yeah. which we'll, we'll talk about a lot more. I wanted to say one more yeah. thing <laughs> about uh, because you're saying, yeah, his his offense is mostly nut shots and that sort of stuff. You do get a couple of glimpses of the brilliant technical wrestler Daniel Bryan in the match, like the transitions from the label lock into the triangle choke, and then into the and then. Lesnar reverses that into the F5. You get these little spots of of great wrestling. We'll watch Daniel Bryan matches where that's the main thing. And just want to hit another thing that reminded me of when he gets in the triangle hold. And again, I'm I'm on the subway waiting for stuff to buffer. Right. So it's jumping around a little bit. Uh, much it, maybe that had more dramatic tension, and that's why I love this match a little bit more. But uh, uh, with wrestling, I you know the triangle hold is not Daniel Bryan's finisher right before the match. But you don't know if like if he tapped him out there. Now we can run with that forever. He beat. He John has Cena. beaten people with triangles in Ring of Honor. Right, but in WWE, previous, yes. but in WWE he hasn't. So we are trained to believe it right now it can only be the knee or the bell lock. But then you remember he beat John Cena with the knee out of nowhere at SummerSlam, and right. that's where the knee came from. So I'm watching that going. 
yeah, this could be an entryway into a new development for this character where he taps him out with a triangle. And the whole reason I'm bringing that up is, again, this is a match that got, I think, I mean, maybe not every, but most gradients of fans to believe in a way that in 2018 was very difficult to get anybody to mm. believe. Like, to guess what's going to happen and be satisfied with either outcome. You know, like, to but before the match started, that wasn't anyone's attitude. Everyone comes in with that saying, like, well, let's see if Brock Lesnar does the same old shit. By the end of it, they and they did cra- They did chant same old shit during the <laughs> the lowest point of the match when they had turned on it. So you're oh, saying, yeah. so really, what what grabbed you about this match, really, when it comes down to it, is just the is the layers going on here. Where I mean, not to say that it's just that, but that there is so much good. going on, yeah. both in terms of the what actually happens in the match, what it means in the greater storyline, how the two of them are are using the psychology of wrestling like it it's just it's all there and how it plays with the audience's expectations including my own mm-hmm. exactly yeah because yeah, i was along with the whole crowd and that's i so believe that, that they were doing match can get you that on the same page with what the artist's intent is especially like, that's hard how for rarely art in general <laughs> like yeah in the wwe how rarely they especially actually get the you WWE. on their page because they are trying people mm-hmm. like they're not even trying no they're trying and failing they have very few people like Daniel Bryan. Yeah. I mean, there is no one else like Daniel Bryan, yeah. basically. But there were a couple. There was CM Punk, and they lost him because he just, like, could not express himself within the WWE machine. Yeah, there's a... Uh, also, he had MRSA, and they weren't letting him see a doctor <laughs> or stop wrestling. I think that that gets shuffled but, under the table kind of a lot. Yeah. There's a generational yeah. disconnect, though, and Daniel Bryan has, has explicitly said this before, where it's like, Vince McMahon's motive is only money. Yeah, and it, Danny Bryan's like, yeah. oh, that's not what I'm here for. All right, so we're gonna start wrapping up today. So, Fesh, please plug everything that you have to plug. All right, well, we talked about uh, XSW. We're a monthly live show. We're also on IWTV at the Pit Loft. At the Pit Loft, uh, uh, you can follow us on Instagram at, at Extremely Serious Wrestling and Twitter at, at Extremely Serious. I got a horror movie podcast called I Was Scared Too. Uh, it comes out every Friday. Um, I do month, uh, uh, weekly screenings of horror movies in the back of a bar called Crystal Lake every Monday at 11 p.m. No one ever comes. Uh, it'll be me and you if you do. It's be fun. Uh, where, I think where, that's where, it. where is this bar? Crystal Lake. It's on Grand Street in Williamsburg. Okay. Every Monday uh, after an open mic, they just give me the room, and it's usually me and one other person just watching a horror movie I chose. I'm, I'm sure okay with fun. that, but if, if more people come, I'd be more okay with that. <laughs> uh, I think that's it. All right. Cool. Um... All right, so I guess we'll go around. Once again, my name is Doc Diamondfire. Um, I'm at Dr. Diamondfire. That's Dr. Diamondfire on Twitter. Uh, message me to book me for your shows, doing uh, you know commentary, ring announcing, wrestling, whatever you want me to do. Um, I will be appearing for XSW. Uh, I can't tell you exactly when because we record this about two <laughs> months in advance, but rest assured I re- appear there regularly. Among other places. Professor, give us your information. Yeah, Dr. Ben Abelson. Follow me at ScribeBen on Instagram and or Twitter. All right. Uh, my name is Evan Burke. You can follow me on Twitter, Evan Burke, etc. That's Evan Burke, E-T-C. Um, and read my writing at evanburke.biz. 
and uh, hopefully I'll have something new up there at some point. Thanks so much for being on the show, um, Fesh. Yeah, oh, thank you Fesh. for having me. Seriously, this is awesome. Um, I cannot <laughs> uh, recommend enough, especially if you are like me, if you're listening to this podcast and you're on my fucking side, first off, good for you <laughs> for being better than everyone. And also, um, I really enjoyed XSW. It was, hey. it was a lot of fun. If you only vaguely know about wrestling but you enjoy comedy you absolutely should fucking check it out because it's hilarious yeah, doc definitely. is hilarious on it thank you Fesh's stuff is hilarious um yeah it's great and we will do a more in-depth interview with him in the future uh all righty every we be good anything else <laughs> this has been contesting right. wrestling we will see all of you again very shortly thank you